If you have your uh, Bible with you this morning, you can go ahead and turn to Zechariah chapter 1. We'll be picking up in verse 7. Last week uh, we started our series in Zechariah, and uh, the first message that the Lord gave to Zechariah for his people was uh, one calling them to return to them, to repent uh, of uh, those uh, previous ways of life uh, that had uh, often marked his people uh, from the time of uh, their forefathers. And the Lord graciously promised his people uh, through Zechariah that if they returned to him, he would return to them, meaning that he has been there for them all this time, that all that was needed of them was for them to repent. And they responded to Zechariah's gracious message from the Lord, and they have returned. And now uh, we begin a series of visions that the Lord gave Zechariah for his people, and uh, this first evening uh, that Zechariah has his vision from the Lord, he actually receives two related visions that we're looking at this morning. So if you have your Bible, Zechariah chapter 1, verse 7. On the 12th, 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edu, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. Then I said, What are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, against which you have been angry these seventy years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts, my city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these? And he said to me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I said, What are these coming to do? He said, These are the horns that scattered Judah, so that no one raised his head, and these have come to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nations who, scatter, who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. So, Lord, in prayer. Father, as we study this section of Zechariah, where you have revealed your love and concern for your people, may we understand your love and your care and concern for us. May we understand that you are, your love is greater 
than your discipline towards your people. And as we think about our world today, may we walk in hope that as we look at our world and cry out, how long will it be like this? May we have hope in the coming of Christ who will right every wrong that we see in this world and will usher in a world of perfect justice, perfect righteousness, and your peace, not the world's peace. And we pray this morning uh, that as we study this word, if there are any here this morning who have not trusted in your Son for salvation, that your Spirit would speak words of tender mercy to their hearts so that they would trust in Christ for salvation. For this we pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. So this vision comes uh, about five months into the work of uh, the work on the temple. It comes uh, not too long after uh, uh, his previous, the previous word that he has received from the Lord. But the Lord's people would have understood that even though they're back, they're working on the temple, they're rebuilding their homes, things aren't how they're supposed to be. Even the pronouncement dating when this is would have been an indication to God's people that things just weren't quite how they expected things to be. Uh, Sure, they've come into the promised land. They're rebuilding their homes. Uh, They're retaking uh, the the promised land that had been promised to their fathers. But who is king over them? It's not one uh, of the line of David. Uh, You read uh, prior prophets prior to the exile. uh, They date their prophecies to whoever was king of Israel and whoever was king of Judah. And here in uh, this timing of the vision, the people of the Lord would have a reminder that they're not quite back home yet. They're still under the reign of Darius. And it is in this context uh, 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 where the Lord's people would have been feeling that that the Lord gives this vision for Zechariah to share with his people. It comes in the evening, and if you read the Old and New Testament, God often draws near to his people in the evening. And I think that's because that's when we put off all the hurry and busy of the day. That's when things quiet down. If we look at the example of our Lord and Savior, he would withdraw in the evenings to a quiet place for communion with his Father. And so it's in the evening that the Lord is going to reveal uh, these visions of the present things to come to Zechariah. And as I said last week, uh, Zechariah's genealogy, those three names, uh, give us kind of a a summary uh, of what Zechariah is all about. Zechariah, his name means uh, the one the Lord remembers. And his father's name, Berechiah, means uh, uh, the Lord blesses. And Edu means uh, in his time, so the one the Lord remembers, he blesses in his time. The Lord is remembering his people, not like you and I remember. Sometimes that can throw us off when we see the Lord uh, uh, speaking of remembering his people. The, The Lord doesn't forget anything. He is omniscient. But what he does is he turns his affection to them again like he had in previous years. And so Zechariah has this vision of the present. It says in verse 8, 
I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red sorrel and white horses. And I said, What are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man was standing among the myrtle trees. answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. So Zechariah has uh, this vision in the myrtle trees. uh, And commentators point out that uh, uh, the myrtle trees uh, have some symbolism there. Whereas in prior to their exile and captivity, the uh, people of God were likened to the cedars of Lebanon, tall and majestic trees. Now they're being likened to the myrtle tree, short, uh, unimpressive. And he has these visions of the army of the Lord of hosts. Uh, This angelic messenger bears witness uh, that they have uh, been sent by the Lord to patrol the earth. Uh, They they, they have uh, combed uh, the four corners of the earth and they bring uh, the a report of how things are going in Zechariah's present day to him. Verse 10, these are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. Well, what have they seen in their wide view of patrolling the earth for the Lord? Have they bore witness to what they saw? Verse 11, and they answered the angel Lord who is standing among the myrtle trees, And said, we have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. That seems on the surface of it to be good news, doesn't it? There are times, though, that peace isn't a good thing. For the Lord's people to hear this, uh, that the earth is at rest, means uh, that there is no sign uh, that they're going to have their own king. There is no sign uh, that they're going to know uh, the true freedom that they used to know in the promised land. They're going to continue under uh, what it really was, an oppressive reign. Darius, uh, for all the good he did for the people of God and uh, giving the instruction to, uh, for them to rebuild the temple, was totalitarian in his response to any rebellion. Historians uh, tell us uh, that this particular time he has crushed all those uh, that sought to rebel against him. And so his kingdom is at rest But it's not a genuine peace. It is a peace brought about through tyranny. We think of periods of history where there was peace when it was a terrible thing. Think back to your history classes. The Nazi party took power in the 1930s. 1933, they began building concentration camps for political dissidents, uh, socialists. 1934, Heinrich Himmler began uh, increasing the number of concentration camps, uh, imprisoning Jews and gypsies and other ethnic minority. And all that time, there was peace in Europe. Flash forward uh, to 1939, uh, Neville Chamberlain, after Nazi Germany uh, conquered Czechoslovakia, uh, 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 makes a peace with Germany, saying uh, that he has bartered a peace for their time. Everything was at peace at Europe, uh, no warring countries, but that peace uh, was 
just the reflection of a totalitarian regime. And here the angel of the Lord that is speaking gives the report that there is peace. But it wasn't the peace that the people of God longed for. It was a peace that indicated they still weren't really back where they should be. And if there's any doubt in our minds, uh, the angel, almost speaking for Zechariah himself in response to this, uh, responds to the report. Verse 12, And the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? He, he, he looks back at their past, uh, the 70 years uh, being reflective of God's discipline for his people because he had promised in the Old Testament that if they had turned from him, if they were faithless, uh, that they would find their way into exile, into the hands of the nations around them. And the angel looking at the present circumstances in light of the past says, how long are things going to be like this? This is the cry of God's people in every generation. The psalmist uh, in their time uh, reflected, How long, O Lord, how long will the wicked prosper? The angel Lord, uh, knowing the report of the land, knowing the condition of these nations, uh, can only respond, How long? Because the angel Lord understands that these nations that are at peace are utterly opposed to God. They are committed to idolatry and wickedness. And the angel cries out, How long will things be like this? And we think about our, our present world. You might have heard uh, of uh, the Christmas Eve massacre in Nigeria where a wedding party uh, was massacred by the terrorist group Boko Haram. We don't even have to wonder to ourselves what their response is now. The book of Revelation tells us that all the martyrs are under the throne and their voices cry out to the Lord, How long? I think this is a good reminder for us that this world, uh, as it is and as it will be until the coming of Christ, is not how it should be. Well, well, we should never fool ourselves into being contempt with how things are. It would have been easy for the people of God to think, well, at least things are better than they used to be. At least we're not in Babylon anymore. At least we're back in Jerusalem. At least we're building the temple But they, there's a longing for how things will be. And so the angel Lord asks, How long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against those you have been angry with these 70 years? The Lord's response points to the future He has for His people. It points to the truth that His Grace is so much greater than we could even begin to comprehend. Verse 13. The Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel. And those gracious and comforting words weren't just for the angel. They, they were for Zechariah. 
Because the angel is serving as a mediator, a messenger between Zechariah and the Lord. And he brings these words of mercy, these words of grace and comfort. Zechariah says, talk with me. And it would have been easy for the people of God at any point in that captivity to think, you know, God has fully written us off. We have no hope. We have no future. Here we are in a strange land around strange people, what hope do we have? It would have been easy for them to feel as if the Lord had still forgotten them. Even back in the promised land, having to give reports to uh, the governors put in place by Darius, not chosen by the Lord, but chosen by Darius, it would have been easy for them to think, even though we're here, we're still not back where we need to be with God. So the Lord speaks, verse 14. So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. Now, you and I, we hear uh, uh, ter- that term jealous, and we think jealousy is a bad thing. But there is a good type of jealousy. You know, for those of you that are parents, if you're walking down the street and you see somebody uh, driving a creepy white van eyeing your child, you're going to have a godly jealousy to protect your child and ensure their safety. The Lord has a godly jealousy for his people because uh, he is deserving of our utter and total commitment. And anyone or any other thing that we give ourselves to besides him is an idol which will leave us empty and discouraged. And the Lord says uh, he is jealous. He has a a committed, complete, all-consuming love for his people. And he goes on in verse 15. And I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. Because these nations, while in the past the Lord had raised them up to be an instrument of discipline for his people, they went beyond the Lord's purpose for them in the, what they have done to the people of the Lord. Lord continues on, for I was angry but a little. The Lord's purposes in sending his people into exile were to discipline them. He had no desire to completely cut them off and to destroy them from the face of the earth. And yet that was the desire of many of the nations that ruled over the people of God in their 70 years of captivity. We think of uh, the book of Esther when Naaman uh, has it in his head that he's going to issue a decree that all the people of God, all the Hebrews would be cut off from the kingdom. The Lord was angry like a parent uh, disciplining his child. But the nations that, that the Lord raised up were cruel and oppressive in what they had done to the people of God. The Lord is promising in the future that judgment will come upon them. I was angry, but a little. They furthered the disaster. I meant it for discipline. The nations meant it for destruction. Verse 16, Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. He's promising them, just as he had been in their midst before, he is in their midst now. He is rebuilding his temple. My house shall be rebuilt in it, declares the Lord of hosts. 
and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts, My city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. So the Lord is promising a full and complete restoration for his people. But it's not a restoration, uh, the level of restoration Zechariah would never see in his lifetime. And no generation in Jerusalem since. Jewish people long for the coming of Messiah when, as uh, it says later on in Zechariah, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. It is when Messiah reigns in Jerusalem that they will overflow with prosperity. He is promising a future comfort for his people that is all centered upon their need for Christ in their midst. And he looks again to the future of those that have been so cruelly oppressive to his people. He promises comfort for his people. He promises judgment for the nations uh, that have been so disastrous for his people. It's ought to destroy his people from the face of the earth that apart from divine intervention would have done so. And so this moves uh, Zechariah to see the second vision. In verse 18, And I lifted my eyes and saw, behold, four horns. As he makes clear, those four horns are representative of the nations that have ruled over the people of God in their captivity, that have waged war against them, who have oppressed them in their captivity. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these? And he said to me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I said, what are these coming to do? He said, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one raised his head. These are the nations, uh, Assyria, the Babylonians, uh, the Persians, and the Medes uh, that have ruled so ruthlessly over the people of God that no one lifted their heads, that they were bowed down with their subjugation. And these, that is the craftsmen, have come To terrify them. The Lord is saying that these nations that have been so unjust to his people will face judgment. And these have come to terrify, to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. Those that had been so cruelly oppressive to the people of God in the Old Testament were themselves destroyed. Just a matter of centuries, Alexander the Great would begin his conquest. Uh, He would crush uh, what remained of the Persian Empire so that uh, Babylon, the Persian Empire, in all their glory would never be seen again. They would be cast down. Those uh, that had lifted up their power against the people of God. One day, the Lord will finally defeat the greatest enemies of all. Because if we understand our lives in light of the New Testament, our greatest enemies aren't individuals. Paul says we do not war against flesh and blood, uh, but against powers and principalities over this present darkness. 
uh, our greatest enemy is the enemy, Satan. And one day, Satan, uh, the one who has power over death, uh, according to the author of Hebrews, will fully and finally be defeated, will be forever cast into the lake of fire, Uh, Though he seek to attack us, though he seek to harry the church of Christ and uh, bring us into doubt, as uh, 1 Peter says, uh, he goes about like a roaring lion, seeing whom he may devour. One day, just like the nations uh, that were so disastrous to the people of God, one day those final enemies will be defeated, Lord Christ told Jesus uh, that he is to sit at his right hand until he makes a footstool of all his enemies and the last enemy to be defeated, according to 1 Corinthians 15, is the enemy of death. We think about this. We think about our present situation. We know that the Lord is in control. No matter how dark the world seems, no matter how dark our own personal lives may seem, no matter how chaotic The world may seem, this vision from Zechariah bears witness that the Lord is in control. He knows what's going on. He is the Lord of history. And while we see the evil in the world, the Lord's uh, comforting words remind us that He will indeed address the evil in this world. We know that this life is not the only one to be had, uh, that As Hebrews 9.27 tells us, it is appointed for man to die at once and then the judgment. And that all those uh, that are working evil in our world today will stand before the Lord in judgment and will face a justice greater than they could have ever experienced in this life. And it might be easy at times uh, for God's people to think, uh, you know, the Lord's withdrawn Himself from us. The Lord never forgets His people. In His time, He shows His grace and His mercy to His people. He brings joy to His people in His time. And we find the greatest fulfillment of that joy at the coming of Christ. That's why we pray, uh, come Lord quickly. As we cry how long in our world, uh, whether it be uh, the news of uh, terrorists working in Iraq, whether it be wedding parties being massacred in Nigeria or murders occurring in our own country, that should move us not just to cry out how long, but come Lord Jesus. And I tell you right now uh, that you cannot pray that prayer, Come, Lord Jesus. You you cannot really uh, cry out rightly, How long, O Lord, until you've come to receive the Lord? So we're going to come to a time of invitation. And I tell you, if you've not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you you stand not with the Lord. You stand with those who are opposed to, to the Lord, uh, Jesus in His life and ministry said that uh, those who are not with Him are against Him. And I tell you, if you have not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, no matter how many times you've been to church, no matter how many times you've read your Bible, if Christ is not your Lord and Savior, you have said in your heart of hearts, He is your enemy. 
And I invite you during this time of invitation to receive him, knowing that either you will die and you will stand before him in judgment, or he will come in his glory to destroy all his enemies. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, as we come to this time of invitation, we thank you for the gracious and merciful words that you speak to us in your gospel. That we can surrender ourselves to you. That we can find salvation in you. That you've given us a hope of that is beyond this world. A hope that one day your son will return. That one day he will right all the wrongs, all the injustices, all the evil and iniquity that makes us cry out, How long, O Lord? And we pray in light of the world that we are in, in light of the darkness in the world, come Lord Jesus. Come to your kingdom. Come into hearts that have not received you. For this we pray in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.